is case uh, 51 <coughs> from the Hegegan Oku, the Blue Cliff Record, the pointer. As soon as there is affirmation and denial, you lose your mind in confusion. If you don't fall into grades and stages, then there is no seeking. But say, is letting go right or is holding fast right? At this point, if you have any trace of inter, interpretive, interpretive, sorry, interpretive route, you're still stuck in verbal explanations. If you're still involved with devices and objects, then all of this is haunting the fields and forests. Even if you arrive immediately at the point of solitary liberation, you haven't avoided looking back to the village gate from 10,000 miles away. Can you reach it? If you can't, just comprehend this perfectly obvious public case. Perfectly obvious public case. To test, I'm citing this. Look, the case. When Jeff Feng was living in a hut, there were two monks who came to pay their respect. Seeing them coming, he pushed open the door of the hut with his hand, popped out, popped his head out actually, and said, what is this? The monk also said, what is this? Feng lowered his head and went back inside the hut. Later, the monk came to Yanto. Yanto asked, Where are you coming from? The monk said, I've come from Ling Lingnan. And Tu said, Did you ever go to see Jiefeng? The monk said, I went there. Yanto said, What did he have to say? And the monk recounted the preceding story. Yanto said, what did he say? The monk said, he said nothing. He lowered his head and went back inside the hut. Yanto said, it's too bad I didn't tell him the last word before. If I had told him the last word, no one on earth could cope with old Jefeng. At the end of the summer, at the end of the summer retreat, actually, the monk again went back to his teacher with the preceding story and asked for instructions. Nyantu said, why didn't you ask earlier? The monk said, I did not dare to be casual. Nyantu said, though Jiefeng is born of the same lineage as me, he doesn't die in the same lineage as I am. If you want to know the last word, just this is it. The verse. The last word is spoken for you. The time of light and dark, pair by pair. Born of the same lineage, they share the knowledge. Screen went blank. <laughs> just the right time. 
dying of different lineages, they utterly are separated. Utterly separated. Even yellow head and blue eyes have yet to discern. Yellow head is the Buddha, blue eyes is Bodhidharma. South, north, east, west, let us return. And in the depth of the night together, look at the snow on the thousand crags. This is a fairly long koan in comparison to some of the other koans, long story. The koan is long, the message is not. The message is never long. It's, it's quite to the point. From the beginning of the koan to the end, the point is brought up over and over and over again. As it is brought up in our lives over and over and over again. It's just that we get distracted. We get distracted. So during the course of Zen training and, and Zen development as practitioners, we go through countless states of being. Of course, at the beginning, there is the excitement of embarking on a new path. At a time in our practice where the unknown still seems inviting and fresh, when we are naturally still armed with curiosity of a a child. And that peters out after some time and, and then we get brief and elusive moments of light, bliss, awakening, whatever you want to call it. Moments where all the pieces, when all the pieces of the puzzle seem like they're, they just fit perfectly. Everything makes sense. Seems like finally this is it. But those moments very quickly make space, make room for other moments of frustration because of the elusive nature of what seems to be blissful. We want to grab it, we want to grasp it, hold on to it. And the more we want to hold on to it, the more elusive it seems to become. So then, doubts, lots of doubts. Maybe it's not the right practice, maybe it's not the right practice for me, maybe there's a better path, maybe I just can't get it. Whether or not you do koan study, there's a lot to work through, to work with. And let alone when you are involved in koan study, obviously it's a different kind of a challenge. So how do we embrace the challenges? How do we work through this? How do we, as we often say, how do we examine the practice from within the practice rather than allow the frustration to take us away from practice? As, as it often happens, actually, with people, with practitioners. So lots of fluctuations in states of being. They're real. You can't deny that. We can't deny that some days it flows, some days it's clunky. 
not just a practice, but everyday life. So what do we learn from that, from the fluctuations? I think they show us both. They show us what Zen training is about in everyday life. The nuts and bolts, the meat and potato, the arugula and quinoa of Zen training. But they also show us the aim of Zen training. Both at the same time. And through our experiences, through all our experiences, we can realize that the path and the destination or the aim, whatever that is in your mind, are actually inseparable. We're not going somewhere else. We, we hear it a lot. But it's different to hear it and it's another, a whole different thing to actually experience it. In the midst of frustration, how could that be the, the aim or the destination? It doesn't align. It doesn't align with what we want. It is in alignment, but it just doesn't align with what we want. Dogen's Fukan Zazengi says it very clearly from the beginning, the first paragraph. It says, he says, the way is basically perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? You realize or you don't realize. You practice or you don't practice. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change. Your life will change. It will not change. And it says the Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need is there for concentrated effort? And there's a lot of that in our practice. A lot of concentrated effort. Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's dust. Who could believe in means of, it means to brush it clean? It is never apart from one, right where one is. So what is the use of going off here and there to practice? I think sometimes when we read such statements, we may even get upset at this. You know? I mean, how, how is he saying that? How is he saying that it's ever-present and it does not require effort. Or is that what he's saying? How can the aim and where you are right now, the efforts, the practice itself, how could these two aspects that seem very separated from one another be one and the same? Think of this in practical terms of setting out a goal, goals, and making plans to achieve those goals. Whatever it is, whatever the goal it is for you, we all know that it requires paying close attention to every step. We also know that if we are diligent as while we're working on or towards an idea or a goal, if we are diligent, that quality will appear also at the end result. Whatever it is you do, if you do it half-heartedly, that will be the result. 
if you do it with all your heart and all your attention and fully present, that will be the quality of the result. Again, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be just cooking a meal. Or it could be setting out a business plan and working on it step by step. So if we're lost in doing what we're doing and we're not paying attention, obviously that's what we're going to find tomorrow or the next day or in five years. Every step is the next step. And at the same time, every step is the previous step. It is, in actuality, inseparable. And this is what we learn from our own experiences. It's not Zen. You don't have to study Zen to know that. We all know that. If, if we pay attention to that, we all know that. So the quality and depth of your life tomorrow is determined by the quality and depth of your life today. But of course, when we look at that, it doesn't make much sense because... If I'm learning a skill, then tomorrow or the next day or in five years, my le the level of that skill will increase. That is very true. But this is not talking about something that needs to be accumulated. And that's what Dogen is saying. It is always present. So maybe it's more along the lines of practicing so we can allow it to shine rather than work towards accumulating. Maybe it's more along the lines of getting out of our own way and allowing it and trusting it to shine forth. Just look at it. Look at it by yourself on your own. Look at what was, what is, and what will be. Just look at this, past, present, future. Ask yourself, where is the beginning and where is the end? Can you put your finger on the point where earlier becomes now and the point where now becomes later? It's impossible. It's impossible, yet we practice and live our lives often based on that, as if it is possible, as if there is such a thing as what was, what is, and what will be, and these three are separated from one another. We practice in accord, and we live our life in accord with such a notion. That's why we reject so much and so often. We think that if I reject this, I am embracing that. But in actuality, if I reject this, I'm rejecting that. If I reject you, I reject me. If I reject me, I reject you. If I reject white, I reject black. If I kill the black, I kill the white. That is how it is. This is not invention of Zen. Shakyamuni 
Buddha did not make it, did not establish it, did not found anything. He just realized. And after he realized it, he said, everybody can realize it. He said, what I realized is everybody's birthright. So that requires practice. And that's what we're doing. So when you look at that question of trying to pinpoint the gap, if you look at it deeply and you answer it by realizing that there is no such a place, there is no such a point, then we understand why. Why it is necessary to practice. Because while there is no such a point, we know very well that our lives are bound by an assumption, an illusion that there is such a thing, that there is, or there are gaps. As if there is what was, what is, and what will be. And I think also if we look at it deeply, we can understand what Thich Nhat Hanh means when he says peace is every step. Peace is every step. It's not what do I do to achieve peace later? Especially now, especially in, in the light of the darkness that we experience, that we hear about. Just today, by the way, uh, you get a chance to see that. I was looking at the news briefly. Three police officers were shot in Baton Rouge today. It doesn't stop. And it's all based on a notion of a gap, a notion of separation, a notion of you and I, yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's all based on that. The point of the Quran is telling us that as soon as there is affirmation and denial, you lose your mind in confusion. As soon as there is, I am white, you are black, yellow, green. We lose our, we don't just lose our mind in confusion. It'd be nice if that's all there was, just a bunch of people walking around aimlessly. It's just that when you give this bunch of people weapons, they shoot from that confusion. They kill other people because they are confused. And then it says in the pointer, if you don't fall into grades and stages, then there is no seeking. Now this is talking about our practice. It is talking about practicing and seeking while knowing very well that you're already there. As one shah said, we have to seek without seeking. We have to seek without seeking. So we have to be very diligent about practice every step of the way, knowing that we will not get anywhere else. All we're doing is studying what it means to be a human being. And I think it's in many cases, it takes us a lifetime to, re to figure out 
how to exist, how to coexist as human beings. And then the point that keeps going, it says, is letting go right or is holding fast right? Letting go. Diving into emptiness, oneness. Is that the way? Is that what I need to do? So holding fast. Or wholeheartedly apply myself into form. And hold on to that. Which is it? Which path, which direction should I take? And then it says, if you have any, any trace of a route, you're still stuck in verbal explanations. If you're still involved with devices and objects, then all of this is just haunting the fields and forests. This is referring to people clinging to things. Us clinging to things, especially to words and explanations, verbal explanations. Now, Dogen's statement, the way is basically perfect and all-pervading, is very clear. How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? This is very true. But the catch with that is that its trueness is prior, prior to affirmation and negation. It's before. So the second we hear it, even hearing that, the second we hear it, we step away from what it means. Actually, just by hearing it, we step away from it. That is, this, this is what's called the secondary. That is the secondary. You know, this statement, or, or, or any statement in Zen, is not there for us to listen to. It's there for us to experience. To experience it capital I-T, instantly, to experience perfect and all-pervading, right now. Not I am perfect and all-pervading. That's too much. Way too much. Just perfect and all-pervading. To lose ourselves into perfection. To lose ourselves. When we begin to dissect it, we actually step away. And we lose touch with it. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just that we refuse to allow it to express itself. We refuse to allow it to dance through us, through these bodies. There's a story about a famous Japanese doctor by the name of uh, Sekiryushi, who happened to be a friend of Harada Roshi, and that's how I found out about that in one of the books. In one of their conversations, he told Harada Roshi the following, when people come to me to be examined, the most important thing for me is the initial impression. The initial impression I received the instant this person walks into the room. And he says, when they sit down and we start to talk, that first impression is gradually muddied. 
when they first come into the room, it's like a mirror which is perfectly clean and smooth and which reflects everything just as it is. When I start to talk to them and begin to consider this or that possibility, it is if the mirror has developed bumps and is no longer or does no longer reflect with complete accuracy. It's a very nice description to what we do with what we hear, with what we encounter. The first impression, the first split second, there are no gaps. It's just that there is a split second later. And then it becomes muddied, as he says. It becomes muddied. And this is talking about, obviously, somebody who is there to diagnose a patient. But what about day-to-day -day interactions, conversations with other people? It happens all the time. What about that first impression? You meet somebody new. Never met this person before. Do you see, do we see at that split second that we are actually in touch with that person very deeply? Probably often more so because we know nothing about the person. Because there is nothing that gets in the way at that moment. I think we've all experienced that. Just look back and see. And then compare that to interactions with people you see every day. Very different. It's not that they are not fresh, new, perfect. It's just that there's a lot of stuff, a lot of mud, a lot of clouds, dust. So we can't reflect it. The mirror is not clear. So the pointer continues by saying, even if you arrive immediately at the point of solitary liberation, so you've clarified, even then, even then, you haven't avoided looking back to the village gate from 10,000 miles away. Can you reach it? If you can't, just comprehend this perfectly obvious public case. Well, again, it's all obvious. It's not just this public case. It's all obvious. But we get muddied. Now, when they say solitary liberation, you know, here they refer to those who have realized, but have self-approved their realization. And this pointer here is telling us that such a person is still tethered to old views and attachments. And throughout Zen tradition, awakening has always been verified by a Dharma teacher. So the pointer is stressing out the importance of what is called in Zen eye-to-eye -eye transmission. Or also it is saying that there are no self-proclaimed Zen teachers. Or well, maybe there are, but 
think it's saying something about self-proclaimed Zen teachers. So this koan brings up Zhefeng and Yanto, who you may remember them actually from previous stories, previous koans. Well, last week, actually, I talked about the turtle nose snake. It was Jeff Hanks, turtle nose snake. To understand the point, point Yanto is skillful in bringing up in this case, we need to go back to a story that happened in er at earlier time when these two were Dharma brothers at Deshan. So while they were at Deshan, one day Deshan came down to the mess, to the dining room, carrying his bowls. Jefeng asked him, Jefeng was the cook, he asked him, Old master, the bell has not yet rung, nor the drum sounded. Where are you going with your bowls? Deshan immediately turned back and went to his room. Jiefeng told this to Yantu. Yantu said, Great Deshan though he is, he has not yet realized the last word. That, that is the last word of Zen. Hearing of this, Deshan sent his attendant to summon Yantu and asked him, Don't you approve of this old monk? Don't you approve of uh, my authority? And at that moment, Yanto secretly whispered his intention to Deshan. Deshan remained silent. Sure enough, the next day, when Deshan ascended the rostrum, his talk was quite different from usual. At the end of his talk, Yanto went to the front of the room, rubbing his hands together, laughing loudly, and said, Wonderful, how wonderful. How happy I am that our old master has finally realized the last word. Now Deshan was, uh, was no novice. I mean, at this point he was about 80 years old and was a fierce teacher for many years. And at this point he was a little bit more quiet about teaching and very much in alignment with So, nothing was lacking in his realization. But Yantu actually had realization uh, way earlier, before Jefeng. And he was very concerned about his Dharma brother. And he wanted to help him along the way. He wanted to help him realize. So he concocted this with his teacher, his plan to see if that helps him realize. As it turned out, it didn't. If you remember from last week's koan, I uh, shared the story of Jiefeng's realization when he was staying, when he was stuck uh, during a snowstorm with Yanto. So that did not work out. 
But the point is, he brought up that issue of last word of Zen. And here, when he meet, you know, with meeting the, the two monks, or the one monk that came to ask the question, he's using that device again. And in Zen, there are many devices. You know, the koan is also a device. Different stories. A lot of what we do is there to help us awaken. And it's important to, to, to remember that because otherwise we may get caught up in, in the form or resist the form. But what we do is very skillful. It helps us awaken and it helps the awakening stay alive. But it's not a one-shot deal. So here, in this case, we meet them again, <coughs> and it's later, during the Tang Dynasty, the time of the Buddhist persecution, where more than 60,000 temples were burned to the ground, and about 200,000 monks and nuns were forced to go back to lay life. And some monks at that time escaped to the mountains, built small huts, and kept practicing alone. That's what Zhe Feng did. But even though they were alone, people found out about them and went to see them, to study with them. Actually, often they will tell them, go away, I don't want to teach you. And then people will keep coming back. And in some cases, monasteries actually began around those huts. Began to be built around the huts, or close to them. So, when Zhe Feng was living in a hut, these two, people, these two monks came to pay respect. Seeing them, he saw them coming. He pushed open the door and popped his head out and asked, what is it? What is this? Just that. What is this? And one of the monks said, what is this? What is this? What is this? Jeffing lowered his head, went back inside, closed the door. So what is it? It's an odd way to communicate, isn't it? Is it a question, question followed by an answer? Or is it a question followed by a question? And why? Why is it that Jeffing at the end of that short interaction lowers his head and walks back inside. Was that a defeat? Was he admitting something? Was he teaching something? Was he making a point? Those are, those are points that need to be looked at when you get to this coin, when you walk on it, they need to be looked at personally, individually. We're not studying old cases. Well, we're studying this old case, the one that is sitting on this cushion. And we're trying to let go of the old and open to the new, to the fresh, to the perfect. 
That's the case. It's a hard case. As we are. So there is a phrase in Zen, waves following waves. Waves following waves. waves. And in that, Zen is asking us to respond to any occasion in the most fitting way. So the Dharma can be alive, can actually be kept alive in our blood. We are what the Dharma is. To respond to a fitting, in a fitting and appropriate way to any situation, we have to be genuine. We have to be real. Can't make it up because it's not made up. It's not pre-packaged. You don't walk around with it and then try to find the right tool for the right job based on your toolbox or what you have in your toolbox. To be fitting, to be genuine, we have to constantly strive to be in tune with one another, to be in tune with our environment. It is telling us, it is telling you to open up completely, to let go of the distractions. Or if you can let them go, then put them aside for a little while. Listen to what's going on. Look at what's going on. Be one with what's going on. The first impression, this doctor, or us, any given moment, the first impression, there it is. Right there. As we say often, before the mind moves. It says, Whoever would uphold the teaching of our school must discern how to take charge of the situation. That is taking charge, actually. To be in tune is to take charge. It's not to control. He must know, he, she must know how to advance and to retreat. Right and wrong. Must understand killing and giving life. Capturing and releasing. If one's eyes suddenly blur and go sightless, everywhere he goes, everywhere we go, we encounter a question, we answer with a question. When we encounter an answer, we answer. We're lost. Oh, here's a good question to keep in my pocket. It shows that I'm asking the right question. It shows that I have some understanding. Oh, here's the right answer. That's a good one. I was looking for this answer. How is that fitting the situation? How is that trusting? Where is that which is inherently perfect, complete? How does it manifest? Maybe it doesn't. When it says that when we get to that point and we are stuck like that and we are not trusting, we're not trusting, we don't realize that our nostrils are in the hands of others. That is where anger 
shows up in reaction to anger. This is how we have our nose pierced. And this is how there is a noose on it that is pulled by somebody else. If we get triggered by someone and we respond in the same way, are we not prisoners? Are we free? Is that what it means? Or that's what is meant by fitting the moment? Eye for an eye. I mean, it sounds fitting to many. It sounds like the right thing to do. No, actually, maybe I'll top it off. They kill five, I'll kill ten. I'll have the last word. This is what is expected of us as, as practitioners, to keep it sharp, alive, real. And at the same time to know that there will be occasions that we will go blind or maybe blurry. And we will be trapped by other people's words and actions. So, going back to this case, did the monk had the, have the advantage? The monk questioning Jie Feng? Or was it Jie Feng who had the last word by turning back inside the hut? What happened in this interaction? And the footnote to that closing the door, going back inside, says, better not say he had no words. Watch out. Be careful how you look at this case. Be careful how you judge Jefeng, or the monk, or yourself. This koan is, uh, just as a side note, is uh, very important, actually, because it appears in the Blue Cliff Record and then later on in the Book of Serenity for us, and we study both. So if you stick around, you're going to have to deal with it twice. It's a lot in it. And I've been going back between the two books, and... I happen to like the footnotes of the Book of Serenity, especially with this one. So I've quoted some of them here. So after the encounter with Jefeng, the monk, went to attend a summer training period at Yantu's monastery. And at the beginning, as he first arrived, he had a short introductory dialogue with Yantu. So when Yantu asked, where are you coming from? The monk said, I've come from Ling Nan. Yantu said, Did you go to see Jie Feng? The monk said, Yes, I did. Yantu said, What did he have to say? And the monk told him everything that happened. Now, the footnote says here, Yantu kept pushing, the footnote says that Yantu does not stop until it's vinegar. He keeps pushing him and pushing him, not because he wanted to know the details of what happened prior to this meeting, 
But they want to know, what did you do with all this? Did it help you? Or are you going to tell me stories I'm not really interested in? Great stories, but irrelevant to your training here right now. So the monk at the end said, he said nothing, he lowered his head, went back into his hut. And then, this is exactly where Yantu planted a little thing, a little seed there in him. He said, well, too bad I didn't tell him the last word. If I told him the last word before, nobody, nobody could do anything to him. That makes you wonder, right? I mean, you're just about to begin a three-month training period. And then you sit with that. What the hell was that? What could he have told him? What is it that he didn't tell him? I'd like to know that too. That'll solve all my problems. Just that one last word. That's all I want. I don't want to sit here for three months. But maybe at the end of the three months he'll tell me. So, okay, I'll stick around. Well, he did go to ask at the end. So Yantu recognized where this monk was, probably at the first impression as he walked in, probably before any words were spoken. So he recognized that, and he also recognized that there is a potential. So he figured, well, maybe I'll give, it that, I'll give him that and see what happens. And those are not novices. These, you know, this monk was not a novice at this point. It doesn't say in the story much about the level of his understanding, but these were serious practitioners, much more serious than many of us. Made the, the whole life about practice. Gave up everything in order to practice. So at the end of this summer retreat, at the end of this retreat, the monk went back with the same story. So maybe not much happened in those three months. And then Yantu looked at me and asked, why didn't you ask earlier? Why did you wait for three months? I mean, you've, came, you've come to Dokusan with me many times. Why didn't you bring it up earlier? And the monk said, I didn't dare to be casual. And that's where Yantu said, Though Jefeng is born of the same lineage as me, he does not die in the same lineage as me. If you want to know the last word, just this is it. Just this is it. Now, the footnote to the monk waiting for all this time to not ask the question and saying, I didn't dare to, to ask. I didn't dare to it says, people sober from good wine slowly. That's good wine. That's very skillful statement on the side of Yanta. And then the reason why he did not ask earlier, the footnote says, he likes to sleep. He just likes to sleep. 
Maybe he doesn't want to wake up. Maybe he just claims he wants to awaken. Maybe he's not ready. And then under, I did not dare to be casual, the footnote says, he sure, he sure is used to the monasteries. And there is, there is something there. I mean, it's important to take things seriously. It's important to not just jump and ask questions. It's important to work on it, to bring it into your practice, to breathe into it, rather than try to clarify by asking other people. That's how we develop trust. So there is something there for us to learn from, too. So, though Zhe Feng is born of the same lineage as me, he does not die in the same lineage. And the footnote there says, those who seek to divide are first to reach an impasse. Those who seek to divide are first to reach an impasse. Well, those who seek to unite, what do they reach? What do they cultivate? I think we, we know what it is to rush to divide, to rush to conclusions, to jump to conclusions, and then to go on creating actions, devising actions concocting all kinds of ideas and plans based on divisions. Instead of looking deeply and asking, is there a division? Is there? And then he concludes that by saying, if you want to know the last word, if you want to know the last word, just this is it. And this is probably my, the, my favorite footnote on this Quran. It says, he sells it as he steams it hot. He sells it as he steams it hot. Right there. There you go. In another Quran, the footnote says, it's like a grandmother putting, I think it was lychee, on, in your mouth. All you have to do is just, swallow, just chew it and swallow. That's all. That's all you have to do. There it is. Just this is it. Hot, fresh, steaming, new. And it doesn't have you in it. Which also makes it interesting. And this, just this is it. Just this statement. Take that statement. I think it's a blessing and a curse. For us, it is blessing, but for us, it's a double-edged soul based on how we take it. Just this is it. Can you see it? Can you smell it? Can you touch it? Well, let me think about that for a while. Let me digest that. Ah, gone. Gone. Too bad, too late. We just killed it. There is seeing, and there is that which is behind that. 
There is that by which the eye can see. There is hearing and there is that by which the ear can hear. There is thinking and there is that by which the mind can think. Can we connect to that is the question. This is where all, all those words are happening. All those stories are happening. This is what they're pointing at. They're pointing at an underground level that is not seen. And yet, it is not hidden. It is in what you see, but not as it is seen. It is in the breath that, allow, that is allowing the words to come out. It's just that the breath is not seen, so we hear the words, and we react to the words. But what about the breath that is carrying the words out? Which without, there will be no word. There is no word, essentially. There are no <coughs> words. There are no divisions. It's just that we respond to what we hear. And then the anger comes up. Of course. And then the rejection comes up. In the preface to the, to the uh, Blueleaf record, <coughs> Maizumi Roshi wrote what he was trying to explain how to read the Blue Cliff Record, but also how to read koans, how to study, generally, how to look at it. And he said, there are numerous ways to read a book. Skimming, memorizing, careful study, quiet reading, reading aloud, reading with the body, reading with the mind, and reality reading. And he says, it is this last kind of reading which the Blueleaf record requires. In this mode, you yourself become the case. And in so doing, the Blueleaf or any other book for this matter stands, stands revealed as your very life. Right here, in this time and place. Just this is it. So in, other, in other words, to say, just this is it. So to read this way is to take a step this way, is to take a breath in this way, is to take one step that unites instead of one step that divides, is to realize, recognize unity of all things, not as a concept. One of the, I think one of the dangerous things about hearing words over and over and over is just that we become desensitized to the words. Or even chanting. Maybe more so chanting because we repeat it over and over and over again. You know, if you've been around in practice for a little while, you've heard it many times, you've chanted it many times, all right, I'm just going to move my lips for a little while and voice it and 
and then move on to what's next. But if, you are not, if you're not there chanting with your whole heart, then the next step will be the same. Even if you prefer the next step over this step, still, it's the same. The quality is the same. Wholeheartedly, step by step, to fit the occasion means to wholeheartedly, step by step, to lose ourselves to the last and to the first. To a beginning and to an end and to a process. Yeah, there is that thing that we call Zen studies, Zen practice. And, but it's all step by step anyway. I mean, you don't take more than one step. You don't take more than one breath at a time. You can't. With all this madness, with all this escalating violence around us, it's very difficult. It's extremely, it makes it very difficult to, to breathe, I think, at times, and to not be reactive. To not be reactive. And someone emailed me a question about that. It was a very important question. How do we reach people that have no intention to care or be reached? How does our practice get to them. You know, we're all tolerant, but even in daily life, people do whatever they want and have no regards to others. And that is very frustrating, isn't it? It is frustrating, of course. But you have to ask yourself, do I want my nose pierced and I want to be led by others? Do I want, to, do I want others to decide how I behave? how I live my life. If the world is mad, well, I might as well be mad because that's just the norm. It's becoming, it's becoming the norm. So I'll just let loose of the anger and run with it. The bigger hammer is cool. Who has the bigger hammer? I would like to have the bigger hammer. I definitely want to have the last word. So this is what we have to ask ourselves. How do I want to live life? In accordance with what? With madness or with or accordance with wisdom? In accordance with being a human being or studying what it means to be a human being or the hell with it? So, when we encounter, and of course trust comes into that. People say, well, I, you know, if I act this way, if I'm, if I'm trustworthy, or if I trust other people, sorry, then what if they take advantage of it? They may. They may take advantage of it. And they may cheat. And they may steal. And they may, around your back, behind your back, do things to hurt you. 
And that is how you, your practice is tested, day by day. Do you abandon it? Do you let it go? That's all it takes? That's the power you've been cultivating? Or is there something in you that knows? No, it doesn't matter. People can do whatever they want to do. I know what I'm practicing. I'm clear on that. I may not be clear, but I'm clear on that. I know how I want to behave, and I know what kind of a, a world I want to live in. And I'm, I'm not going to wait until the world becomes that. I am living in, in this world right now. So maybe you ask, well, isn't that denial? No, it's not. Because your eyes are open. Because you know madness. Because you know that there are other ways to behave. Zen is very realistic, pragmatic, eyes open. There is no denial. The one who hears the cries of the world is the one who chooses to act differently. It's not the one who joins the madness. Yeah, we join the madness, but as a force of goodness. If you add anger to anger and violence to violence, what are you doing? And what happens when you meet anger with love? What happens when you meet others who are not tolerant, who are not patient with tolerance and patience? What happens in the world? Work with that. Work on your own reactivity and don't join madness. Teach madness. Wisdom. Embrace wisdom, step by step. Peace is every step. As Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. You want to wait for it? Or you want to be a force of change? Those are the questions we work with. And in that, where is the first and where is the last? Where is the beginning and where is the end? Where is the end to madness? Where is the end to violence? Most people say it seems like it's a lost cause these days. It seems like there will never be peace. How could there be peace if the world is moving away from it and towards violence, escalating violence? Where, where is peace? Here is peace. Right here, right now. Just this is it. This is peace. But there is no other. And if you work on it this way, then the quality that, the quality that is manifesting right now will manifest later too. Watch how you put your foot down. Be aware of the contact with the ground. Barefoot or with shoes. Be aware of that. This is peace. Right then and there. Before you encounter the one who is angry. The one who is violent. 
And then when you encounter violence, you are armed with peace. When you read about violence around the world, you are at peace. It's already happening. Make it happen. Be behind it. Don't wait for the world to be seen. 